Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad that you are here. Everybody who is in the room and everybody that's watching or listening online, welcome to all of you. Thank you for engaging at the beginning of this Christmas season. Really, really glad you are here. So, uh, do you guys remember when you were in kindergarten or like first grade and they had something called story time? Do you guys remember that? And I don't know if you remember this. In, in, in my classrooms, you know what we did? When it was story time, we would all get out of our desks and we would come down and the teacher would sit in like a stool or a rocker or something like that. And then, you know, he or she, they, they would get out a book and then we'd sit on the rug and we'd listen and they'd tell the story. And then they always did. The teachers were always good at this. They'd read it and then they'd flip it around and show it everybody the pictures. You remember that? So I'm going to start with story time here today. All right. I'm sorry I don't have a rug. You can stay in your seats. We're all good. Okay. But we're going to start with story time. And I want to start with uh, this story. And this story is very simply called Let's Jump In. And this is written by Susan Hood, illustrated by Mike Gordon. And it was published by Reader's Digest Children's Publishing. I'm just letting you know because this is not my book. Okay. This is, this is, I didn't write this. This is not what I did. But I can tell you that this has been in our house for a long time. All three of our kids at one time, it was a long time ago, this was one of their favorite books. I'll just say we've moved long beyond this, okay? This is not one of their favorite books anymore, but they used to love this. They could quote this, and you'll see why, because it's really, really simple, okay? So I'm going to start. Let's jump in uh, to the story. Here we go. Let's jump in the pool. Let's go for a swim. The kids jumped in. I told you it was going to be really difficult. All but Tim. Tim dipped his foot in. Ooh, it's chilly. Must be Wisconsin. Tim felt scared. Was that silly? Tim put his feet in at one end. Then who popped up? Dan, his friend. Jump in the pool. Jump in, Tim. We will help you learn to swim. Dan helped Tim float and learn the crawl. Swimming was not hard at all. Now Tim can dive and splash and race. One day he even won first place. Now when the kids say, come and swim, the first one in is, guess who? Tim. Isn't that great? And isn't it wonderful that your pastor can read a preschool book? <laughs> Seriously, it's like level one. It's as low as you get, right? But the truth is, the reason I started with that story is because that very simple story illustrates four main parts that are included in almost every story, no matter how simple or how big they are. Every story is going to have probably these four elements or something really, really close. You're going to have a problem that has to be solved, you're going to have a main character. You're going to have supporting characters, right? And you're going to have a hero. Now, in this story, what did we just see? There's a problem to be solved. What's the problem? Tim is scared of swimming. And the water was cold. Side problem. But the main problem was he was scared of swimming. What are the, what's the main character? The main character is obviously Tim. The whole story centers around Tim. 
and his lack of ability to jump in the pool. And then we have the supporting characters. We have all the other kids and we have the instructor with his whistle and all that kind of stuff. Do you see that? They have the supporting characters of the story. But then you have the hero of the story. You know who the hero of the story is? Dan. Then who popped up? Dan, his friend. It's so great. And what does Dan help him do? Dan helps Tim float and learn the crawl. Swimming was not hard at all, right? You have a problem. Main character, supporting characters, and a hero. Guess what the Christmas story has? The Christmas story has the same thing. It has a problem. It has a main character. A lot of main characters, actually. Lots of supporting characters. And it has a hero. And so what we're going to do is, today we start a brand new series called, very simply, The Story of Christmas. For the next three weeks, including this Sunday, three Sundays, and we're going to culminate all of this on the candlelight services that Ryan just mentioned on Friday the 22nd. We're going to culminate this whole thing by talking about the hero of the Christmas story. So you're not going to want to miss that Friday. We're going to be here. We're going to celebrate. We're going to do all the candle stuff and the silent night and all the beautiful stuff that you're like, I hope we do these things. Yes, we're going to do all those things. But we're going to talk about the hero of the Christmas story on that Friday night in a powerful way. And so I hope that you're here for that. But today we start this series, The Story of Christmas. And we're going to talk about the problem, the main characters, the supporting characters, and the hero. So today, let's start by talking about the problem. Now, let me ask you this. We're in church and like this is something that a lot of us believe, maybe not all of us, but we believe in Jesus. We know who he is. And so what is the Christmas story trying to solve? What is the problem that the Christmas story needs to take care of? What is that problem? Anybody? Sin, right? We just sang about it in, that, in the last couple of songs. It's solving the problem of sin. Now, what is sin? Because I don't know about you, but we talk about sin in a lot of different ways. We talk about the thing, it's the things that we do or it's the things that we don't do. And all that's true. Sometimes that's true about sin. But did you know what really sin is? Sin is really this, this tendency of every human being to go against God. It's our tendency to want to do what we want to do in spite of all the evidence that says we shouldn't do what we want to do. And I don't know about you, but I'm one of the worst ones at that. I like to do what I want to do. If you ask anybody in my family, they will tell you, oh, dad is stubborn. He is just stubborn. He wants to do what he wants to do, and then he doesn't like to give up on it. He is stubborn. I like to do what I want to do. Let me kind of illustrate this. So on Sunday nights, not every Sunday night, but almost every Sunday night, we fill this whole building with teenagers and preteens. Let me just tell you, if you think there's a lot of energy here on a Sunday morning, Sunday nights are like crazy. We fill this place. We have 5th and 6th graders, Club 56, and the Ridge is 7th grade through 12th grade. And this building is full of teenagers and preteens. Okay? We have this phenomenal ministry. By the way, just let me put a plug in. If you are in that range, 5th grade to high school, up through a senior in high school, I highly encourage you to come. We have a lot of fun. This, this gym is completely cleared out. We have games. We have nine square in the air. We do all kinds of stuff, basketball. And then we spend the middle time talking about God and our faith in separate little groups. And then we come back together. We hang out again and have dance parties. We do all kinds of stuff. I'll just say it gets crazy. All right. 
So if you have somebody in your family or you know of somebody or you know somebody that's a neighbor or friend, invite them. Sunday nights, we're here just about every Sunday night. We'll be here tonight, okay? But the reason I bring this up is because back in September, the high school leaders, we decided we wanted to play capture the flag with the the high schoolers, with the teenagers, okay? So we took them out back here in the village park and we set up the, you know, the middle ground and all kind of stuff and then we gave flags, we divided into teams and each team went and, and, and hid their flag. Now, if you've never played capture the flag, it's really simple. The two teams, the one team has to get to the other side and get the other team's flag and bring it back to their side. Which means there's a lot of running and the running is not slow, it's sprinting, okay? That's important to the story, okay? And so we divide the teams, we start playing and here's the great thing. High schoolers, they can just jump into that kind of a thing. Sprinting, I mean, like with no problem, right? They can just jump in because they still have something that, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's called flexibility. I've begun very seriously to lose mine, okay? So high schoolers, they're great. They can just jump right in and we can play capture the flag and they can run, they can sprint like crazy. The problem is I'm a middle-aged man, okay? But I'm also competitive, right? And so I can't let a bunch of teenagers show me up. And so I am not going to let them get the flag for our team, right? And so I am going to jump right in. I'm gonna start sprinting, which is exactly what I do. Right? And I'm trying to chase down high school boys who are unbelievably fit and unbelievably fast. And so I'm trying to sprint after them. And after a while, I realize, okay, my legs aren't feeling so great. Right? Thankfully, we ended two games of capture the flag before I seriously injured myself. But I, I'm, I kid you not, as we walked from the field back to the, back to the room here, my thigh muscles, like the tendons, my hamstrings, they were stretched... Have you ever seen when a rubber band is like, you're, you know it's almost ready to snap? That's exactly how the back of my legs were. Like if you could look at the back of my legs, they were just like, they were just ready to go. And I could feel it. I was like, I was walking like this. <laughs> it, was, it was sad. Something that I really wanted to do, I knew, honestly, before we ever started, I, at least my brain said, Brent, you should probably stretch. And I was like, <laughs> right? And my brain said, you probably shouldn't sprint after these guys. They're much faster than you. I'm like, "Ah, I got this. Sometimes we do what we should not do, and that's the perfect illustration of sin. We do what we shouldn't do, or we don't do what we should do. And this tendency is this sin problem that we have. The Apostle Paul talks about this same problem that he had. Listen to what he says about sin in his own life. Romans 7, 18 through 19. Paul says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anybody else relate to Paul right now? Right? When he, he, I don't know about you, but this is one of the most encouraging scripture passages that I've ever read. You know, when I read this, I'm like, ah, this is like the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. And he's saying, I'm a mess. I sin all the time. I want to do this and I don't do it. And when I'm supposed to do this, I don't do that. I don't, I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. I'm like, ah, and I'm like, yeah, that's me too. Right? And it kind of makes us understand, okay, this sin problem is real. A few chapters before that, the same guy, the Apostle Paul, writes this in Romans 3.23. He says, everyone has sinned 
We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all in the same boat. Maybe, you, maybe you're not like me. You're going to go sprint after high schoolers without stretching, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I'm not that dumb, right? Okay, good. But we all have this problem of sin. We all struggle with wanting to do things our way instead of God's way. We all struggle with that. I struggle with that. And so there is a sin problem. So why is the Christmas story important? Because it solves a major problem. Now, this is where I'm going to take a turn, and this is probably going to be the weirdest Christmas story and message that you've ever heard at this point going forward because you weren't thinking we were going to go there. But I think this is important, and really kind of God pressed in on me to kind of share this again uh, because sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but we tend to package Christmas all by itself. Did you notice that? Like we switch gears, it's almost, it's almost like, you know, we go through the year in January, February, March, April, May, and then we do the summer thing. It's like, woo, summer in Wisconsin is like, there's no other than that. It's like, oh, get outside, get outside, get outside. Why? Because we know what happened last night. It's going to happen, right? It's like, it's going to be slushy, it's going to be wet, it's going to be cold. And so get outside, get outside. And then we get into the fall, it's like, woo, the colors, it's beautiful. And then there's winter, Right? But we hit, I don't know about you, but after you hit Thanksgiving and all of a sudden it's like Christmas. And have you noticed the stores? They're like, as soon as Halloween's done and sometimes before, they're like, eh, forget Halloween. Christmas time is coming. Did you see? I saw Christmas trees up in stores before Halloween. I was like, oh, we're, we're on it. We're really on it now. We're like five weeks from Advent still, but they're on it. But what we do is we tend to package Christmas all by itself. One little package story. And you know why we do? We, we, we tend to do this. And how we do this? Like, for example, churches, we do this. What, what have we done to you this year? We're doing a whole series just on Christmas. And it's almost like it's this standalone story. Right? We put up all these decorations. By the way, isn't it cool? Looks really pretty. Like, I, th I love it. I'm like, oh, I'm one of those. I'm like, oh, it's just pretty. This is awesome. It must be Christmas, right? There's snow out there. I mean, how, how, it's just amazing. But the truth is, it's all building this idea that Christmas story is all one separate by itself thing. But in reality, you know what the Christmas story is? The Christmas story is actually just a piece. It's just a chapter in a really long, big story. Did you know that? The Christmas story is not a story in and of itself. It's complete in a whole big long story. Let me kind of get into this. Okay, so two years ago, we did a series called Puzzled by the Bible. Okay, the reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm about to highlight something from that series from two years ago. Okay, and uh, if you want, I'm about to go on like a blitz version of that series in about like eight minutes, okay? Let's be honest, it's, it's me. It'll probably be more like 10, okay. Blitz version as fast as Brent can do it, which is gonna be slower than others can do it, okay? Because I'm gonna say more things. But I'm gonna go through this and let me just say that this is gonna leave you wanting a little bit more because I'm going to give you the fast version. I did an entire series. We did several weeks on this, what I'm gonna cover in about 10 minutes. So it's not going to scratch the itch quite what You're going to have tons of questions about this, what I'm about to go through, okay? But let me just say this. We did this two years ago called Puzzled by the Bible. If you want to know more, go back two years ago, January, February 2022. 
and we did Puzzled by the Bible. Now, I also want to let you know that this stuff that I'm about to cover, I didn't create, okay? This came from a guy named Pastor Kevin Myers at a church called Twelve Stone down in Atlanta, Georgia. It is one of the most brilliant things I've ever read or known or understood. He basically takes the entire Bible and breaks it down into exactly what the story is. And so I'm going to walk you through that very, very quickly. So this comes from Kevin Myers at Twelve Stone Church. Amazing stuff. Okay, so let's understand that the Christmas story is not a standalone story. It's a part of a big story. All right, so let's talk about the Bible. The Bible is one big story. From cover to cover, it is one big story. But the reason it can be puzzling is if you start from the front cover and just try to read from the front cover to the back cover, it's going to be really confusing. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever just started reading in here and Genesis you were doing pretty well, Exodus was okay, and then you got to those next three books? It's all laws and thou shalt nots and do this and if this happens, don't do that. And like for literally three books. It's crazy. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all the, like, it is just crazy. It's hard to, you can't, this is not a normal book. But it's one big story. And so let's walk through it and kind of talk about this. Okay, so the Bible is broken up into two parts. You guys know what those two parts are, right? We have the New Testament and the Old Testament. So let's start with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the old covenant or the old promise between God and people. Okay, it's the old promise. It is no longer in play, but it was in play at that time. Okay, that's called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Then we move to the second part of the Bible, which is, of course, what? The New Testament. And this is the new promise between God and people. There was an old promise and there's a new promise. Okay, now in the old promise and the new promise, there are five different events that parallel each other on each side of this equation. And we're going to walk through them. Listen to how this goes. So the first event on the Old Testament side is God and people in paradise. Righteous people. No sin. God creates a perfect world, creates Adam and Eve, perfect people. They don't have sin. Sin doesn't exist. Satan is not involved. None of that is there. It's a perfect world. Just imagine that perfect world. God and righteous people in paradise together. No sin. But then it doesn't take very long. A couple chapters later, what happens? God gives Adam and Eve a choice, right? He puts that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And what happens? He says the only thing, this is the only thing you can't do. You can't eat the fruit from that tree. Have you ever heard that phrase? You had one job. Adam and Eve, do, do you ever want to just go back to Adam and Eve and be like, guys, seriously, you messed everything up. Don't eat the fruit. You can't eat the fruit. That's the one thing you can't do. But what do they do? They eat the fruit. They had to eat the fruit. You know why? Because we have this tendency to do things our way regardless of what God says. And so we have the next event is Satan and sin enter our existence. Sin enters, Satan actually is the one that ushers it in. He tempts Adam and Eve, they give in, and sin enters with it. And so now this breaks the whole world. So this leads to the third event. It's not the fun one. The world is judged and destroyed. 
Now, we, we call it Noah and the ark, all right? Because honestly, we like to package it that way because it feels better, okay? But this, what really happened is the world is judged and destroyed. A global flood wipes everybody out. The only people that survive, Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, just their family, that's it. The only people who survive. Wipes out the entire world, okay? Next event, fast forward, still in the book of Genesis, is a one world government. I don't know if you remember the Tower of Babel story, but all the people come together and they all want to build this tower to become, you know, closer to God and basically become God. And so God says, this is not good. They, they, they can't become God. And so they, all the people get scattered. There's this one world government. And then at the end of all of this, the fifth kind of event in the Old Testament is that God makes a promise to this guy named Abraham. You remember Abraham? God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, okay, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And we're going to walk in this life together. I promise that I'm always going to be with you. And there's this old covenant, this old promise that is given to all the people. Now, the rest of the Old Testament is actually the story of God and the people and how they do that. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but that story is a little bit messed up. Because the people are constantly going against God. And God's like, come on, guys. And he has to bring them back into the fold. Okay? So that's the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament leads to the pinnacle, the point, the hinge, the most important piece of this entire story. You know what that is? Jesus. Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus comes in because why? Because all of that in the Old Testament is a problem. Sin is an issue, right? So Jesus Christ comes to solve that problem. Now, what happens as a result of that is Jesus brings a new promise. And so the first event that happens in the New Testament is a new covenant, a new promise between Jesus and people, between God and people. He says, listen, I've paid the price for your sin. Jesus already died for you. All you have to do is believe in me. He solves the problem. He solves the issue. The story takes care of the problem, but we now have to choose whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. Okay? Now, all of the stuff, I'm about to give you the last four events, but all of the stuff up to that point in human history has happened. The next four events that I'm about to tell you have not happened yet. They are going to happen in the future. If you like the book of Revelation, you're going to like this next part because it's all four of them are contained in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Okay? The next event that happens is a one world government. Now, again, notice that it parallels with the Old Testament. One world, we are headed as a planet, as a human race, toward a one world government. Believe it or not. Now, a lot of people say that, think that that's kind of crazy. They think, are you serious? One world government, out of all the conflict and all the problems that we have, we're headed toward a one world government? And the answer to that is yes. Have you noticed um, that Europe, several years ago, went to, like, tried to create a one currency that everybody's going to use? That's a step in that direction. Have you noticed how the UN is acting lately, the United Nations? They're trying to get as many people unified as possible. Now, I'm not saying unity is bad, okay? Some of you are like, well, unity's good, isn't it? I'm not saying unity's bad. I'm just saying we are headed toward a situation where we're going to have a one world government and that's going to be a very clear indication that we're headed toward the end of the story for planet earth anyway. Okay? I know that this sounds crazy, but you can read all of this in the book of Revelation. Okay? It's all there. Next thing that's going to happen 
is the world is going to be judged and destroyed a second time. The first time it happened through a flood, the second time it's going to be by fire. Now this is very interesting, but if you listen to astronomers and people who are really, really smart about the soul space thing and orbits and the solar and the solar system, the planets, all that stuff, they will tell you that the sun is by far the most critical piece of our existence. Obviously, I think everybody knows that. But it's also somewhat volatile. And if anything happens with the sun, our planet's going to be like, just burn up like that. I'm not saying that that's how God's going to do it. I don't know. God hasn't told me, just so you know. But the world is going to be judged and destroyed, and it says it's going to be by fire. It's not going to be of a flood anymore. So that's going to happen. And then two more things. Satan and sin are going to exit. That's a really, really good day. Right? The world is judged and destroyed. None of us like that. But the next thing that's happening is Satan and sin literally get kicked to the curb. They get kicked out. And Revelation is really clear. I'm not going to tell you all the things that it says is going to happen to Satan and the people that follow Satan, but it's really not good. Okay? It's really, really clear. Satan and sin, get out of here. And then finally, the best day ever, God and redeemed people living together in paradise. That's where we're headed. Now, again, those four things, those last four things have not happened yet. And so if I were to place you and I in 2023 where we are in this timeline, then you know where the dot goes, right? It goes in between the new covenant and the one world government. That's where we are in human history right now. Okay? Believe it or not, like that's everything up to that dot has already happened. Everything after that dot is going to happen later. Does that make sense? That's where we're at. Now, the Christmas story, where in the world does the Christmas story fit into all this? Well, it fits right in the middle at the pinnacle, most hinging place of the whole thing, right? It all hinges on Jesus. So now I want us to understand, the Christmas story is not something that just happened with baby Jesus and the wise men from the east and the shepherds and the angels. It's not this one little set apart thing. I, we need to understand going into this Christmas season that Jesus is the key to the whole thing. Without Jesus, all of this New Testament stuff, this stuff that's going to happen in the future, we have no hope in that without Jesus. So the Christmas story is as, as important as it gets. It's as important as it gets. And so as we get into this, now here's how I kind of I want to land the plane on this a little bit. So back in that Old Testament period, the time between... Uh, the one world government and the old covenant and Jesus. Okay, so we're talking about the very top of that. What I want us to understand is during that time, God already knew all of this stuff was going to happen, obviously. And so he starts revealing this to a couple of key people. These two guys are named Micah and Isaiah. And they write these Old Testament books, Micah and Isaiah. Those are, the books are named after these guys that wrote them. And these two guys prophesy or they future cast when Jesus is going to arrive and how he's going to arrive. Okay, let me read the one from Micah real quick. Micah 5, 2. Listen to what he says. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. By the way, the fact that it says Ephrathah is really important. You know how we have the only Wanakee in the world? You guys know that. Have you seen those signs? We're the only Wanakee in the world. Okay, that's cool. Bethlehem in Judah was not the only one in the world. 
So it's important that they highlight which Bethlehem they're talking about. Ephrathah identifies Bethlehem in Judah, in southern Israel. Okay, so we know exactly which one he's talking about. Bethlehem Ephrathah are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, some translations say ancient past, will come from you on my behalf. In other words, I want you to catch this. Micah has just prophesied that 700 years after he writes this, he didn't know it was going to be 700 years, but it would be 700 years plus from the time that he wrote that, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Just imagine that. Somebody writing something 700 years before and then it happens 700 years later. This is pretty amazing. Let me read Isaiah's prediction. Isaiah 7, 14. Listen to what he says. He says, The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Micah predicts it's going to be in Bethlehem. Isaiah predicts that this Messiah, this Lord, this ruler is going to be born of a virgin. I don't know about you, but does that not sound like a kind of a strange prophecy? I mean, think about it. It's a weird prophecy. Not only are you going to be born in Bethlehem, but you're going to be born of a virgin. I, I, I don't know, like, this, this kind of goes back to like, you know, I don't know, whatever grade biology. Okay? That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet these guys predicted Bethlehem, born of a virgin, son of God, Messiah, is going to happen. And seven, guess what? 700 years later, it happens. Now here's my point. From the time that Micah and Isaiah write that until Jesus came at 700 years, imagine the time of all of the people passing down this promise. There's a Messiah coming. There's a ruler coming. He's going to make everything fine. He's going to make everything good. Can you imagine waiting and saying this promise for 700 years? Okay? We, we can't tell our own children if we're going to go to a movie on Friday night on Monday because they are not going to be able to handle it. The patience is just not going to be there. Can you imagine Jesus promising that he's going to arrive? God promising that he's going to make everything good. He's going to solve all the problems by this one arrival of this Messiah. And then you have to wait 700 years. Some scholars even talk about this as kind of the silent time. This is, this is when it felt like to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, that God was silent. He was not working. He was not there. He was not caring. He wasn't doing anything. Sometimes the story takes longer than we want, doesn't it? Isn't that true? Sometimes we have to be patient. How many of you would just admit and be like, I am so patient? I've told you guys, I'm serious. I, I mean this. I, I was so ignorant. I felt like I was a patient person and then we had children. I'm, I'm serious. I, 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 would, I kid you not. I told, I would tell people, I was so prideful. I would tell people, yeah, I'm actually pretty patient. I'm a pretty patient person. I would tell people that. And then we had children. And I'm like, I am not patient. 
In fact, I'm, I need to lose it like right now. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it again. I'm going to lose it right now. I'm going to lose it and it drop. Right? I just do. I am not patient. I don't know about you, but I am not patient. And so when God doesn't start working on my behalf when I want and how I want, I get frustrated. I get antsy. I get, I get upset. Anybody else with me? Now let me, let's just be honest for a minute. In theory, you can all be with me on that. But in a moment, let me start throwing out some scenarios and then you're going to realize how really this is true. Because when God doesn't work on our behalf in the time that we want and how we want, honestly, it just gets maddening and creates bitterness. It just does. Sometimes you feel like your story's broken. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel like your story's broken, but I know there's a lot of us in here that feel like our story's broken. Something broke and I haven't been able to fix it since. Maybe you're here um, and you just feel like God is silent in your life. So I'm going to invite Rini to come up and just kind of play the keyboard because we're going to end a little bit differently than we normally do today. Because here's, here's what I think. I think when we get into the Christmas season, we build it up to be this magical thing. Right? I know, I, I'll be the first to admit, I do. Like, the tree comes out, the lights are on, and I turn all the other lights off. Why? Because the glow is just like, ah, oh, light a candle, ah, oh, play some Christmas carols, ah. Oh. And then it snows, and I'm like, ah. Oh. I don't know what people in Florida do. <laughs> Christmas in Florida, that's hilarious. But the truth is, I think we build up and, and we go into Christmas and we, we have this expectation. I have to order this. I have to buy the kids this and they want this and they need this and this thing. And we're going to go to this Christmas, this, this party and we're going to drink this and we're going to have this. and We're going to do these things and we're going to decorate and all the, the lights aren't perfectly straight. We need to redo them because they need to be straight. And we're going to have a beautiful time as a family. We're going to drink and sip hot cocoa and we're going to all be in love. And we're all going to be like, oh, this is so wonderful. We're going to watch 12 Hallmark movies together and everybody's not going to get bored. It's going to be amazing. Can we just be real now, though, and say that there's a lot of mess underneath all of that? Some of you are walking into this Christmas. Maybe you're here, and this is your first Christmas without somebody that you really care about because they're gone. Maybe it's your second and third Christmas. Maybe it's your fifth, maybe it's your 10th, but it feels still like yesterday. And you're like, God is silent. Come on, God, what are you doing? Maybe you're here and, and you wish you had somebody to celebrate Christmas with. You're, you're single and you're tired of being single. 
maybe you're here and you're in retirement age and you feel like this should be the great years, the golden years, and yet if you were gonna be honest with people, you probably have never said this, but you feel like the world has raced by you and left you in the dust. And so you feel kind of like worthless. Maybe you're here and you have addiction and it feels like there's no freedom. Maybe you're here and maybe you're a student here. Students, you have it hard because social media sucks. Because everybody tells you what you're supposed to look like and what you're supposed to do, right? Literally every minute of every day. And you can't get away from it because it's right here on this little thing, right? Facing you and saying, this is who you need to be. That's what you need to be like. You need to live up to this. And if you don't, you're not cool, you're not popular. And so you go to school and you are surrounded by classmates and yet you feel lonely. Maybe you're here and there's conflict in your situation, in your family, in your marriage, in your at work, at school. Maybe, let's, can we just, let's, let's just stop and be real for a second because I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't think we should rush into another Christmas season, put the presents under the tree, do the thing, all this stuff, and then all of a sudden December 26 hit and we go, what just happened? Anybody ever feel that way? Maybe you're looking at all these decorations. If you're going to be honest, you see all these lights up and you're like, yeah, it's pretty, but I'm over it. Some of you feel that way. I'm over this. Maybe what has happened is we've forgotten what Christmas really is. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is God's way of sharing and showing you that he loves you and that you are worth it. Christmas is God's way of saying, I love you so much, I'm leaving heaven. I'm leaving perfection. And I'm gonna join you in the mess. I'm gonna experience life with you and I'm gonna do this so that I can defeat sin, I can defeat all the expectations that everybody else places on you, and you're gonna, we're gonna defeat all that, and all you have to do is just trust in me, just believe in me. That's it. So we're gonna end, like I said, a little bit different. It's not a lot different, just a little bit different. Instead of inviting you to stand and sing, I just, I want you to sit. And I'm going to encourage you. Some of you will be uncomfortable with this. But I want to encourage some of you, as much of you as can, just close your eyes. You don't have to do this yet. Just when we get to the song, close your eyes. Okay? And, and I want you to allow God to speak to you. Every one of you. And I want you to hear what he has to say during this song. Listen to the lyrics. And, and this is kind of a, this is like a gift to you. It's not a physical gift. It's a gift of time. The next five to seven minutes, whatever it's going to be, this next few minutes is for you to pause and let's go. Can we just make a commitment right now? Let's go into Christmas, not trying to keep up the standards of all the things 
of what this world says it should be. And instead, let's go into this Christmas understanding who it's about and why he came, because he loves you. And even though your story may be broken, so is mine. God comes into it and he says, I'm always here for you. I've always been here and I will always be here for you. That's why I came to die for you. That's what Christmas is about. Can we just take a moment, the next few minutes, and pause and remember what God has to say to us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this moment, I pray that people would hear your voice. That they would hear you telling them, I know you feel forgotten, but I have never forgotten you. That they would hear your voice telling them that you are here for them, that you are always here for them. That they would hear your voice telling them that even though the story is broken, I came to redeem your story. Every person's story. May they hear your voice telling them that even in the midst of this broken world, there is hope and there is joy and there is peace. May they hear your voice telling them that they are loved. Loved by you. As we sing this song, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself Reveal your heart, reveal your voice to every person in this place. And as the worship team sings, may we just listen to these hard but beautiful lyrics as we listen for your voice. Speak to us in the midst of the song and the silence and redeem our story. We pray this and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.